There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Welcome to Fear Feasts. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ali. And we're your hosts. I'm new in town and I would love to learn more about the older homes in the area. I don't know anybody up here. Well, you do now. My wife doesn't know what happened here. I think it would be better if we kept it that way. All religion relates to life, and the life of religion is to do good. And that is by Emanuel Swedenborg, who is often quoted in the film that we're going to look at today. And needless to say, some of the characters in this film do not take that on board at all. No. And um, the film is Things Seen and Heard, 2021. Yes. yes. Great. It's, um, it, it was a really interesting movie, uh, also based on a book, uh, not of the same name, the book itself, which we will touch on a little bit, but not too much. It's called All Things Cease to Appear, which I personally think is a way better title than Things Seen and Heard. I thought Things Seen and Heard sounded like a marketing tagline for an, um, for an uh, eye and ear doctor, but that's just me. So <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, yeah, and the book was published in 2016, written by Elizabeth Brundage. It's an excellent book. Uh, the, in Within the book itself, there is mention a few times of things being seen and heard in that kind of using that sentence. So that may be where the idea came from. And actually, the book compared to the to the film, it's quite interesting to see how things have been changed and kind of turned around. And there are some similar scenes, some are identical, but they were just with all different characters. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And that's something that you always love because, or not love, yeah. but you always, I know it, you, uh, it's something you pay attention to because I know when things are, are changed <laughs> between a book and a movie, I know that's one of your, your, maybe not a pet peeve necessarily, but it's definitely something that you, uh, that you, you pay attention to. So I, so you've actually yeah. started making me pay attention to it now too. So yeah, damn, because you, I always think... damn you, damn your eyes. <laughs> I always, I've, I've ruined your reading, your, yes, your you reading have. experience. But um, I always think it's interesting to see why that happens because there are some underlying motives most of the time and it's to do with something uh, either political or social or maybe just something to do with what the characters can give to the film as opposed to what they're doing in the book. And the book is very much more about um, the generational um, pain and trauma that's been caused and how that kind of is passed on from one woman to the next and how then we have like a whole host of ghosts mm-hmm. uh, ganging up together in order to to help the the main character who is called Catherine Clare but in in the film you don't see that as much you have prevalently one ghost and I, I did want to ask you if you thought mm-hmm. there were more ghosts because I could only really see one time yeah well um so I'll give a I'll give a basic synopsis of the movie. So it starts with uh, George and Catherine Claire. They're a young couple. It's in the early 1980s, and they um, George has just gotten a, a professor position at a small college, a Saginaw College in, I believe, Upper New York State. And uh, Catherine has a great career of her own. She's an, a trained art historian or art restorer, rather. And you can tell from the beginning that theirs is not the most happy marriage in the world. Um, you know, they have a four-year-old daughter, and later on, it's implied that the reason they got married was because she, Catherine had gotten pregnant. Anyway, they make this move up to the up to northern New York State, and of course, the husband George is very happy in his position. He, you know, he's young, he's handsome. All of his students adore him. It's really sort of funny. And he gets catches the notice of the head of his department, played by the always wonderful F. Murray Abraham. Who I always remember from the movie uh, Amadeus, just tells yes. you how old I am. <laughs> anyway, so Catherine is trying to settle into their new house. And of course, you know, when you see the movie and you see this house that they move into, you know that this house is haunted. You know some weird things are going to start happening. So Catherine's settling in. She's getting the house together. She's hanging pictures. She's cooking these elaborate meals, cleaning up afterward. And she starts to see things. She starts to hear things. Ha ha ha. Things seen and heard. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. And so as the book goes on, basically, she comes to realize that there is a spirit in the house. Uh, it's a spirit of a woman who she finds out later on was murdered there uh, by her husband. And so the storyline progresses. There are these two young men that come to the house and want to do work for Catherine. 
um, she comes to find out that they are the sons of the woman who was murdered by her husband. So she starts to wonder about their motivations. And it's weird because you don't get a sense of necessarily possession of anybody in this in this movie. And that's what you and I were talking about at the beginning. There is a sense of ghosts and spirits, one particularly. But, you know, the, the idea is sort of that they're being affected and being in a way controlled by these spirits that are still in this yeah. house. So you start to see the husband, George. I mean, he's he's an asshole from day one. You can tell that already. But he starts to act even more like a prick. He starts having an affair with this young woman who's one of his students. What a cliche, right? A good looking professor has an affair with one of his students. Mm. And then he just starts acting like more and more of a jerk to his wife. Uh, she finds out that he has lied about some very significant things in his life. She starts having an affair with the young man who's been doing the work at her house. And things kind of gradually progress from bad to worse. Uh, and, and I just want to interject just to say that there will be spoilers and there will be discussions on eating disorders as well. So if this episode isn't for you, then we'll see you next time. Yes, we'll see but... and hear you next time. <laughs> nice. But yes, we will be spoiling it. We'll be telling you the, the end. So essentially what ends up happening is people find out that George is not who he claims that he is. He's lied about his art. He, he claims to have done these paintings. He didn't. His cousin did. He, he's lied about his academic credentials. He's not qualified to have to be a professor. So when the head of his department finds out, George takes him out on a boat, ostensibly to go sailing, ends up killing him, although it's not shown. Comes home. He and his wife have a, a really terrible uh, fight. She threatens to leave. He find, He's like, I'm not going to let you leave. He ends up drugging her. She's able to make her way upstairs. Um, and then he ends up murdering her. It's pretty awful. Uh, but her spirit yeah. is still there and her spirit kind of connects with the spirit of the woman who was in the house to begin with. And together they are able to bring about sort of a kind of a, a satisfying end to everything because sadly, although she is dead, they're, it, the two, these two spirits of these women are able to come together and help this other woman who George, the, the asshole husband, had he had basically run her off the road when she found out all of his secrets and lies and she was in a coma. So together they were able to bring this woman out of her coma. It's an interesting movie. Um, I don't know that I liked it. It certainly had some interesting parts and I think it had a lot of potential, but there was, a, to me, that was uneven in a lot of parts. And I wanted your your take on that, Ellie. So. Yeah, well, I, I thought, well, first of all, it has Amanda Seyfried in the role of Catherine Clare. Uh, and I think she's she's really good. James Norton as George Clare, who I also like because he is, as you say, un, he he's, you know, unpleasant. But at the same time, he's so handsome and you can see that he knows how to turn on his charm. And yes. then you've got Willis Howell, who's played by Natalia Dyer, who's in Stranger Things. I was going to say, she's, she's in Stranger yeah. Things, all of you, all of you fellow horror fanatics out there. <laughs> And she is um, having the affair with with George. Mm -hmm. Now, but one thing I was thinking immediately was that this film and the book is set in the 80s, but I didn't really get that vibe. But in any case, there are no phones. There's not really much email going on. So it makes it a lot easier for George to get away with all the things yeah. that he does get away with. And that really reminded me of The Talented Mr. Ripley by Patricia Highsmith. Because oh, yes. You get that vibe, don't you, of like... How far is he going to go? He's lying about his painting. Mm -hmm. He's um, lying about, you know, having, um, being faithful. And actually, he's quite a dishonest person. And you get oh, that yes. from the beginning. And what I found really, really um, interesting was that in the book, it's it's what you depict, what you talked about, you know, the murder finally um, of of um, Catherine by George is something that we see at the end but in the book it's at the very beginning it starts at and the you, very beginning yeah yep. and you get this insight into his mind mm -hmm. how he thinks about things he's very cold he's very clinical about the things that have happened and he's not without some sort of feeling so he does think oh her sister will be sad her mother will be distressed but it's very cold and it really reminded me of a book by Albert Camus called The Stranger where yes. he where you uh, you know there's this mm -hmm. scene of him at the his mother's funeral and I just got that saying I thought how excellently portrayed the idea of this person who is able to 
do some terrible things but then still have some sort of what appears to be empathy mm-hmm. um, and that kind of gives him a bit of a kick he enjoys it like there are some scenes where George is um, holding someone's hands a little bit too tightly w- mm-hmm. women he has issue with, with women and um, making them feel uncomfortable by what he's saying and mm-hmm. this happens right at the beginning and it happens with food because there are comments surrounding Catherine's weight right from the start aren't they well There's the like movie a itself opens well I mean obviously the opening scene is George going back to the house and seeing the blood which you know you come to find out later on is the blood of his wife that he's murdered but then it segues into their their situation a year later to, and shows how they got to where they are now so they're having a birthday party for their daughter in their apartment in new york and there's this lovely birthday cake and Catherine is slicing it and passing it around and one of her friends says well you eat a piece of it and she takes a bite she's like oh it's really good and then um She's going around, you know, getting coffee for her parents, asking her husband to open another bottle of wine, asking him to take food out. And then she goes into the bathroom and they show her vomiting the food. So they she's got a, a, an issue with food from the get go. What I thought was interesting and, and you, you know, read the book. I, I have not been able to read, read the book yet. So, you know, I know you're not going to spoil it for me, Allie. Like normally you we would I promise I won't. But I wanted to ask you, do they get at least into some of the why she has the eating disorder in the book? Because that was one of the things I found very unsatisfying about the movie. They don't explain from where it comes from. It's just there. I agree with you. I always thought that was a really weird thing. And there isn't much said as well about this from this perspective in in, in the book itself. It's really all about, um, it does have a lot of food in it. But the eating disorder is something that comes out mainly in in the film, and and mm-hmm. it was it was a bit baffling to me because there's no follow through. However, what I will say is that when she discovers those rings by the sink, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of give her some security and there's a sense of protection. You don't see her vomiting again. You don't see her. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So there is that control over it. Yes. So maybe mm-hmm. it was some sort of mechanism there yeah. working to, yeah. to signal to signal that the ghost, for once, we have a ghost that isn't malicious. This is a ghost that's going to protect her, uh, well, as far as, you know, uh, as much as they can and um, and definitely wreak revenge on George and, and the thing for the things that he's done. Um, but so, yes, it was more a catalyst for the husband to control her. We see from yes. the get off that that it's just an excuse for us to see just how malicious he is the way that he subtly says oh have you not had your protein shake that the doctor suggested that you have this Kath. why well you you skipped your protein shake again thanks um, and ask in the book what he does do. As again, we have this sense of control is that he will ask the daughter, who's called Francis in the book, and Franny as well as a mm-hmm. nickname, and and um, in the in the movie as well, he asks Franny whether his whether did mummy eat you know so and then Franny starts crying because she knows that that's a question that's going to come. It's going to lead to discussions and to and to mm-hmm. quarrels. So you get a sense of him being someone who is very very unpleasant and asking oh, yeah. questions just to put mm-hmm. them down yeah. and the daughter as well well and, and obviously i mean you know knowing what we know about eating disorders and and how eating disorders are are often it has nothing to do with food at all it has to do with a person trying to establish a level of control over their own life and you clear you start to see that later on in in throughout the, the movie and you know she doesn't feel like she has a huge amount of control you know he obviously controls the situation, you know, she goes up to New York for him. So he's the one who's sort of in control of everything. You know, she, she was pregnant and that's why they had to get married. So that was a form of her being controlled by something else. So you can mm-hmm. understand why her, you know, why her unhappiness would manifest in this, in this way, you know what I mean? Yes. And, and, and eating disorders are so, they're so insidious in how they, and how they, they come about and, and, why they, you know, why they manifest the way that they do. Some people have eating disorders that involve binging and vomiting, like in in this case, but she doesn't even binge. She eats one bite of a piece of cake and then goes Mm -hmm. and makes herself throw it up. So I would, I would characterize that as, as that would be more anorexia as opposed to bulimia. 
and it's more the secretive aspect of it all because mm. it's a form of um, rejecting a situation that she unconsciously knows there is something which isn't quite right with her husband the way that he treats her the way he asks her questions and the way he talks about food with her is oppressive and in the book there's a scene between because it starts off with the murder and George kind of thinking about the fact that he's murdered um, his wife but no one knows mm -hmm. and his parents come to look after Franny and so she he he talks about his thinks about his mother and he remembers his mother making pancakes when he was little and burning them and I think that's meant to somehow because it's connected to the whole discourse of him pretending to be kind but actually not being a very nice person mm -hmm. and linking it to his mother and the way that he thinks about her and he says she had good motherly intentions but she was unable to cook she would burn everything so it's like you see it's always the mother's fault there's something there it's like yeah. the mother didn't bring him up properly he didn't how, she didn't well, how, how dare she I mean yeah. how dare a mother not be able to cook pancakes I mean that's the only reason mothers exist on this planet Allie, because she didn't that? know how to Come yeah on. and because because she didn't know how to because she didn't know how to cook um, you know, then there's something along the line that has uh, made him the person that he is. There's that impl there's that implication. Maybe, you know, that that could be that could be an interpretation. But I, no, thought I think that's a very valid interpretation. I think yeah. I think you see that in a lot of people in general. You know, there, there's such, you know, I think you see and I'm not saying that things are different now as so much as they were then. But, you, you know, we live in such a, a society nowadays where people sh share overshare in many ways you know why they do the things that they do and so there are a lot of people that overshare oh my mother was this and my father was that and it's that it's for that reason that I'm the way that I am and and you know so it you can kind of understand you know that's him shedding yes. any kind of responsibility for the who he is you know what yes. I mean it's like oh it's my mom's fault my mom did this my mom did that so my parents yes. were horrible, so that's why I turned into a psycho killer, ness, ness, psycho killer, nessese, pa, 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 sorry, I'm having a talking heads moment. I loved how he reacted. He obviously has an issue with women and his relationship with the women in his life. And there are characters in the book that we don't have at all in the in the film. For example, Catherine's sister, who's called Agnes in the book. And he is worried about her reaction. So we see here that everything is about him. So he is worried about how he she will take Catherine's death, but not because she's a human being who deserves to be um to have empathy for but it's more because she doesn't know what he she's going to say to him and he says something really interesting he says that he always had this idea and this feeling that he kind of knows what goes on in people's minds even though they don't say it and he knows the truth of what they're feeling and he's never wrong about that so yeah he has his ideas about all these different characters so you get a lot more into the mind of George in the book mm -hmm. and in the film a little bit also there is this aspect but it's not as developed yeah um yeah he sounds he sounds uh he's it almost sounds like he's he's made very one-dimensional in the movie which makes sense you know it's hard to it's hard to translate people's inner thoughts from a book to a movie and I think we that's yeah. oh, to me that's always the biggest drawback between a, a movie yes. and a book is you don't get a lot of the inner dialogue of characters and you it's hard to know what's going on in their in their minds and their yeah. hearts but um it, I mean it but to me it sounds like though because in the movie the implication is that there are that both Catherine and George are being controlled in some way or being influenced by the spirits that are in this house. Catherine by the spirit of the woman who was murdered, whose name I can't remember, and George by the spirit of her husband who murdered her. And yes. you never really get, you get really more the sense of of the woman who was murdered and, and you, you you see her ghost as well. But you never really see the spirit of of the no. husband, but you it's implied very heavily that that's more and more of an influence on George. And it makes me, think that because of the fact that George is portrayed in the book as having 
I wouldn't say psychic, but having a, a, a very strong intuition and insight into other people, maybe that was a mechanism as to how the spirit of the the murdering husband was able to influence him. You know what I mean? You're so right about that. And that makes me think of something because when he is killing her, does he not hear some sort of voice? So it's yeah. like he's hearing a voice that's guiding him. And, yeah. you know, this is about a haunted house. So in the book, you get that there's like, it's placed on a territory on a land and there is mention of the Revolutionary War and finding buttons of soldiers, dead soldiers. Mm -hmm. So you get kind of the ghostly aspect of the land. You don't get that in the film, but what you do get... In the book, you also get that they go and visit the house first and they have this encounter with an estate agent who is trying to work out, you know, why they like the house. And mm -hmm. and Catherine isn't so keen, but she says it's got good bones. I always love that expression to describe a house. But the fact is that the in the book, it's very clear. It says um, the estate agent says something along the lines of it's never the people that choose a house but it is the house that chooses the people and and she says that's when she knew there was something wrong with this couple yes and I think the film focuses a lot more on the relationship in the couple rather than the ghost the ghosts are important but I think it's more about the interpersonal relationships and the control and that was to me what I thought was much more fascinating I I thought it was an interesting uh juxtaposition of two different styles you know there's the there's the ghost story which is was interesting unto itself but then there's the juxtaposition of the unhappy marriage against it. And I almost, I almost to me felt like the, the marriage storyline was much more interesting and just seeing how it played out. And, you know, cause I, I have a feeling George would have probably murdered his wife, even if he wasn't under the influence of a, of a, a ghost, because he's just that much of a, of a jerk, but yeah. you definitely see how it evolves. But to me, that was the more, more interesting aspect of yeah. it. But I think that's why I enjoyed it, even though I didn't, I don't know that it was the, the most well-made movie in the world, but I definitely enjoyed it. And mm -hmm. in particular, because, you know, you don't often see, and actually you do, when you see, a, you know, domestic, domestic horror, domestic violence against the backdrop of a haunted house. And I'm thinking specifically of the movie, The Shining and the book, you know, there are definitely elements of that as well. But you can, I mean, you could also argue that there's shades of other books, like there's not any physical abuse in the book and the movie Rebecca, but there's definitely a certain level of a, of a, of a bad marriage, a marriage gone bad, or a, a you know marriage that should never have been in the first place, and def definitely a sense of control from the male in the relationship who you know he's accustomed to control. So there's you know I guess you could definitely you know say that these and are Amityville, Amityville as well. The thing with Amityville, like there the 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 male figure. He is influenced by the house, but, mm -hmm. you know, George was already a bad apple. Like he wasn't, yes. it's not like the house. That's what confused me a little bit. And then you get all this very religious and um, heavenly, uh, hellish as well imagery. Mm -hmm. from, and that was interesting is, too, yeah. as well. You know, the the references to Emanuel Swedenborg, who had, who, I forget the name of the book he wrote, but he had he wrote this. A book, was, yeah, he, he wrote a book. He's well known for this book called Heaven and Hell, and it was published in 1758. Yes. And he has, he, defend, he defines all of these hierarchy of angels and spirits. It's really fascinating. But he really did believe that you could see certain spirits and hear certain things. He, you know, he, he, he was a fascinating character, Emanuel Swedenborg. And I, and I did find it interesting, the juxtaposition of the images of heaven and hell and the biblical imagery, you know, in the, in, in the movie as well. Like, I'm really curious to read the book now to see if that, if that plays out as well. So, but you know, you, you can even see it in, you can even see it, it's speaking of, of the food, you can kind of see it, it, you sort of can see the the evolution of their of their relationship or the de devolution, I should say, in 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 the food that that is in the movies. Well, because, you know, it, like I said, it starts out with a celebration, they're celebrating their daughter's birthday and typical celebration, food and birthday cake and wine and coffee. And then, you know, it kind of segues into them going into this house up north and you start to see that their meals together get more and more fraught with tension and stress. You know, there's yes. the one scene before she finds the ring where they're having dinner and she, you know, she's eating from the salad bowl and she's picking pieces of from, and, and they have a, like a nice dinner on the table. It looks like there's potatoes, there's vegetables, there's bread. You know, it looks like they're eating, um, chicken or maybe pork chops I couldn't quite tell but it would look like a substantial meal and obviously she made it because she's staying home and not working so the implication is that she she's the one that cooked the meal yes. and then there's this big lovely salad on the table and the salad it's funny if you if you remember the scene the salad itself is like the focal point of the 
of the meal. Like the, it's not yes. meat, it's not the potatoes or anything like that. It's this big, beautiful, gigantic salad. And salad's very good for you. It's very healthy. And she's kind of just picking little bits of the salad and eating it. And he makes a comment. He's like, oh, are you back to just eating salad again? Like, well, who says things like that? What a jerk. Guys, please don't tell me you're back on the whole salads only thing. I ate a big lunch today. And what about the protein shakes the doctor recommended? I saw you skipped it this morning. I am doing them at night now because it's easier on my stomach. Franny, do you want some more advice? No, I want a pony ride. <laughs> So another thing that struck me about the movie, and again, you can tell me if, it, if it's reflected in the book, is that how, like I was saying before, that as their relationship continues to devolve, so do their domestic interactions. Well, naturally they would, but you definitely see it in, in how they share meals and share food. Um, like you were saying that in the book, he, George will ask the daughter, did mommy eat her? Did she have her yeah. protein shake? Did she eat this? Did she do that? And then you see that in the movie where he continues to push her. Well, did you do this? Did you have your protein shake? Did you have that? And then he starts to get on her case about like drinking wine. You know, she, she, you can tell she loves to drink her white wine. So I, I immediately liked her when I saw that. I was like, that's my girl. That's my girl. But, um, you know, obviously she's drinking wine on an empty stomach. And so you kind of see how kind of like she's, she's less willing to kind of suppress her emotions in that sense. You know, the wine kind of yes. frees her in a way. So she's willing to tell him more things that maybe he doesn't yeah. want to hear. So he, of course, he has to make comments about her drinking and her eating. And then he's just, he's, he's just such a jerk. Yeah, she is. Um, on the one hand, I thought, oh, she, she is in some ways submissive. And I wonder if this was the Catholic in her, which is much more accentuated in the book. But then there are times, and especially through food, where she is rebelling against him as well. So he'll get back quite late one time. He's obviously having an affair. She doesn't know. Um, and and she says, you know, where have you been? And he says, there's nothing in the fridge. Um, why don't I get us something to eat and we can eat together? And she chooses not to partake. She says, no, I've already eaten. And she goes upstairs. Fridge is empty. I can go out, pick up some food for us. What do you feel like? I uh, I ate with Justine. Now the really interesting thing for me is that in the book, when he has the affair with Willis. Now Willis is a waitress. She is in the in the in the film she's seen kind of more in, with horses, and I think she does something equestrian. In the book every encounter takes place nearly every encounter in a restaurant and there's a lot of erotic food imagery and pouring oh, of the wine and she's opening the wine bottle and that's how he kind of falls for Willis and we don't get that in the in the film mm -hmm. at all so that was one thing that was quite different that's an interesting just... thing and I wonder if it's because that would have been maybe too too much of a too blatant of a contrast because of the fact that his wife has such an issue with with food oh, interesting you know yes, she she, she doesn't eat she's got an eating disorder i don't know i mean it's just something i'm kind of thinking off the top of my head about but yes, like i said you know so eating right. disorders are such a they're such an insidious thing you know what i mean and i it makes me wonder if maybe and maybe in a sense that was why he was drawn to her in the book because of the fact that she saw food in a very different way you know she's willing to she saw food in kind of an erotic way which you know, you see the combination of food and sex in so many ways. There's a very strong combination there, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and when people who like food tend to be fairly, they tend to be much more sensualists than people who don't like food. And so, um, which means that you and I are probably both very sensual, sensual, sensualists on our own too, right? So there you go. Well, there's certainly this imagery because then it becomes more, more it just becomes easier to depict something in terms of, the eroticism of it if you have sure. an external object like you know like food and you get this even in religious um circumstances and it's not at all erotic but you would use food as a prop to to procure some feelings of empathy for example in the mystery plays in medieval times they would get you know herod to bite into an apple and you would salivate in the audience and feel and partake of that mm -hmm. sin you know it was done purposefully so food mm -hmm. it has this kind of connection to the to the body in that way which is very mm -hmm. direct i i really do believe that that there's no food or drink 
reference that doesn't have some level of symbolism, whether it's implied or whether it's obvious. And I think in this yes. case, you know, and again, you know, she was a very, very religious person, more so in the book than in the movie. But it's implied that she has a certain level of, of religious belief in the in the movie as yes. well. Going to say so, you know, the fact that you know she doesn't partake of a lot of food, but she partakes of a lot of wine. You know, I think the wine could be, a, you know, somewhat of a symbol symbolic toward the, you know, the fact that she is Catholic. You know, and it, it's also symbolically of the blood later on. You know, the the movie opens with her, with her blood dripping onto the car when George goes back to the house, and the movie sort of ends with um not with necessarily yes. with blood but yeah so it, it it in a sense you know you could say that that wine partaking of the wine she's taking in the blood of Christ and and it's sort of a foreshadowing of of things that happen later on as well yes absolutely and i love that there's well in the film you get this generation generations of women that have been wronged and they bandy together and they they band together to help um to help catherine mm -hmm. in the in the in the film as well you get that there's maybe different types of ghosts from like the because of the flickering lights and then or did you just get that there was only one ghost because I wasn't sure there was diff there were different manifestations of the ghostly presence and I got yeah I got I got a sense that there were probably at least two spirits um first the, the first spirit obviously was the the woman who had been killed but you know i didn't get it she was never presented as being scary and that's why i thought that there might have been two spirits in the house because when the little girl starts to see the rocking chair moving in her room and she gets scared and i know that there is a flash at one point where they see they show that it's the woman but this, the rocking chair scene is meant to be scary like the, the rocking chair like all of a sudden it like it creaks forward and it, it seems like it's done intentionally to scare so to me that kind of had a maliciousness to it i thought maybe that was the male spirit trying deliberately oh, to scare her. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That makes I, sense. I can't imagine a ghost. I mean, I, I really do. I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily believe in ghosts, but I, I believe that if, if somebody did come back as a ghost and didn't mean you any harm, they are probably not going to be doing ghostly things that are going to scare you. You know, that you probably would get scared because you'd be like, oh my God, I can't see what's happening here. But, um, you know, there, I, I think we've seen enough movies and read enough books about ghosts who who have good intentions and ghosts who, who do not. And I think if a if a spirit who wants you know who uh, the spirit of somebody who loved you and wanted to help came back, I think they would avoid doing anything that would scare you as much as they possibly could. Whereas a you know a malicious spirit who who murdered his wife in cold blood would have no problem in in doing things to to scare and 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 terrify. And Ella, who is the ghost of the Ella, most recent ghost you. yeah and she is the mother of eddie and cole who are the two kids mm -hmm. now she is basically helping catherine mm -hmm. and sometimes scaring her because she's the way she does things obviously is to alert her but yes. i love that there was a scene where um ella breaks Catherine scales with the electric toothbrush yes, and it was like great. i thought that was a great you know what, scene and, wasn't it sorry do you know what i thought i thought Oh, this is a supportive feminist ghost. Exactly. Here. She's like, to hell with you and your stupid scale. Fuck your scale. There, I said it. I and she breaks that. it. Um, well yeah. done. Well done, Ella. Yeah, really good. We all need really to break good. our scales, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw something recently where it's like a video where you can put, where it's just a funny video where there's someone putting their phone on the scales to cover the number, but they put some a number on the calculator, like any any number you want. <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. And then um, talking yeah. about another interesting food reference is when um when they have everybody over to their house for the the holiday meal, and yeah, and I mean, and I, to me, it just holiday meals are are already so. There's so much there. There's so much symbolism in holiday meals as it is. I mean, holiday meals are, are generally seen as, ironically, they're meant to be this happy, joyous time. And in the reality of of family meals during holidays, is they very often are not. And I think you know you you definitely see that dynamic in that scene. You know, they have this big, beautiful meal, and you but you also see how George himself is is like spiraling downward, like that scene where he's carving the turkey. And he's, oh, yes. he's attacking it. He's attacking it like he's murdering it. That was, oh my God, you know? I thought, oh yes. my God, what did that turkey ever do to you? But, um, you know, then they, they go out and, you know, her parents are there and the little girl is there. And, and it just, yeah, it's just such an interesting scene because to me, it like personified every single thing that's wrong with their relationship with one another. You know what I mean? All of the, these things that are 
are unspoken, all yes. of these things that are unsaid between them, all of this repressed anger. And, and, you know, and it manifests through the meal and through food and how, you know, his, his anger is coming out and how he, how he's carving that turkey and her anger is coming out and the fact that she's just, you know, getting more and more drunk and not eating and, and you just see it as it progresses. And there is a lack of, obviously, with the eating disorder, the will to control oneself. But this comes and in the book, it's very clear. There's this whole uh, section on her lack of control and her inability though she knew quite well that George wasn't a person that was for her and she was already pregnant actually and he disappears he doesn't want her to keep the baby he asks her to get rid of the baby and oh. she refuses she refuses because she's catholic and um and when he comes back he comes back and in 5 minutes he swept her off her feet again and he's brought flowers and a ring they get married the next day he's that kind of person and she knows that that's not you know what she should be going after mm -hmm. so from the, there's more I think groundwork done in the book to establish the fact that she has issues with boundaries with belief in herself with trusting herself remember it was the 80s as well and and women yeah. and mothers in the early 80s I think the, the book the book was set in the movie as well um the, you know the expectation of of, of um, young and un, unwed mothers was was not good you know it, it, particularly no. if you were raised catholic but you know a young unwed mother was not it was, it was very difficult for for young it's it's still hard now i would argue but it's at least there's far less censure toward women who who get pregnant and have children on their own as opposed to back then Absolutely. But do you think I wanted to ask you, because in the book, then you get this more sympathetic view of Catherine as a character. But in, in the film, I wanted to ask you if you what you felt about her as a character. Did you have sympathy for her? Because I don't feel like she is. There is so much. Um, I don't know, like warmth towards her as a character. You don't no, feel particularly sorry. I got a sense. I, I didn't. I mean, no, and I don't know if that was just how she was the way she was played by Amanda Seyfried, because Amanda Seyfried herself is 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 somewhat of a like a she I, I like Amanda Seyfried, don't get me wrong, but she's not like a she's not like this great actress that she can emote and express deep emotion. You know, she's somewhat she seems like she has a pretty limited range in terms of what she's able to portray. And so maybe that was part of it. But like the character itself seemed a little bit wooden to me. You know, like, like, you know, she didn't, I didn't get a sense that she had a lot of deep emotion toward anything, really. There wasn't that much depth. I felt like she had, she was resentful because she'd sacrificed a lot, a lot because they moved mm -hmm. from New York, from the city to upstate. Yeah. So she doesn't like the change and the way that she approaches um, the academic friend of, of, um, of George's you know and the whole relationship between them she's trying to escape something from the beginning but it's just not mm -hmm. done in such a in, I don't know why it's just I didn't feel I didn't feel that much for the character I think no. it might be to do with the actress then yeah. I don't know what yeah yeah um yeah and I also thought I like I said I had said it in the beginning that I thought it was a little bit it just it was sort of an an, an uneven film and in, in just speaking like talking about Catherine Clare's character for example there's not a whole lot of context given that explains how quickly she connects with certain people like the um the gentleman who's the head of George's department the one played by F Murray Abraham I can't think of his name um oh uh, do you mean Floyd that's him. She bonds with him immediately. Like, it's really strange. And, and I wanted to ask you, is, is that the case in the book? Because in the movie, yes. the husband brings her, his boss over. And, you know, George is just being a typical man. He's like, oh, honey, show him around. And he doesn't want to hear about those things. In other words, like, shut up. So, you know, the scene where Catherine is showing him around and he immediately knows that there's ghosts in the house. And in the movie, it's weird. Like, he presents to her, like, I, I know that these ghosts are here. And she's so happy. She throws her arms around him. That, to me, like, that was very odd. Like, she literally had just met this person. And I get that maybe she was relieved that somebody else could see the ghost and was maybe, you know, validating her feelings. And, but it, but for her to just automatically hug this man, like, that, to me, was very strange. I'm sorry. Like, I literally I, I, met you 10 minutes before, and now you're, you came into my house, and now you're telling me, oh, I know that there are ghosts, and I know that you see them, too. Oh! when you give him a hug that was so strange i'm afraid this home has another spirit and until that spirit reveals its nature be careful of those around you catherine
You know, um, that makes me laugh because I have a note here and it says uh, Catherine jumps to, she's starting to experience weirdness. And the first, literally the first thing, just like what the kind of thing I would do, jump to the conclusion of, right, we have a ghost in the house. <laughs> so she's very <laughs> open to that possibility. Right? And it looks like he's the same. So they commune on that, they on that level. They're, they're, they're just, yeah. you know, they're just very close on that level immediately. And um Well and I they... and I say this as somebody who was raised Catholic. I guarantee you, if I moved into a house where there are creepy things going on and, and not you know I'm not I'm a I'm a recovering Catholic. I I'm not a practicing Catholic. But had I been raised you know, had had I were I still the religious Catholic person I used to be and I moved into a house where there were these things going on, I would not immediately think it's a ghost. Like my my spiritual beliefs would not kick in in the way that the same way that hers is being a Catholic. My first instinct would be like the house is possessed. Let's get some priests in here and do an exorcism. Yeah. I think that's the more sensible approach for Nessa, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah. And then they go, and then they jump from that to having the seance, which I, I did love because I think, you know, you can't really have a haunted house movie unless you have a seance or has to a be reference one. in a Ouija board or something like that. Making a presence known, and we welcome her, don't we, Catherine? We do. We, I, I do. Get back! What happened? She wants to break through. She's trying, but something, someone is no, stopping her. And as long as it's not traumatizing like the one in the others, because that was too that was too much. But yes, I generally love seances. And you haven't watched Hereditary yet, so you're in for a treat soon, Ooh, my friend. I know. Well, we're gonna do a watch along, remember? So you keep telling me we're gonna have to 100%. break out the screamometer. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the the end of the movie because in the you know, it's portrayed, you know, when Catherine dies, her spirit sort of joins forces with that of Ella. And Ella and Catherine are able to together kind of help um I, again I forget her name the colleague of George's who found him out the one he ran off the road the academic yes yes, yes. The one who was a weaver which I also loved I thought that was so like can eight. I just into can I just say one thing yeah. about her though how yeah. annoying is she when she's like I make I weave and it's like the spirit of something cosmic is weaving through me and I have no control I'm like you're just weaving. It doesn't, well, you know, you know she said that because her husband grew marijuana and she was probably stoned. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. You know, I thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, think about it. That's all they do when they go visit them is they're, you know, they're, they're petting the, they're petting the llamas and they're eating <laughs> and they're not smoking pot. So there you go. So there's, oh, a, you know, there, in, in addition to like a lot of food scenes in this movie, because they have a lot of academic parties, which is, I guess, what academics do. I don't know. I'm not an academic. She's called Justine, by the way. Justine. Justine, yes. Yeah. They, they they eat a lot, they drink a lot, and they smoke a lot of pot, which, I mean, I have no problem with whatsoever. I, <gasps> have you I, watched I respect I love, that. Listen, have you watched I Love Dick with um, Kevin Bacon? <laughs> no, I have not. It's so but brilliant. With a title like that, I Love Dick. Oh, okay. you've got to watch it. It's so You know, good. My, my ex's name is Richard, so there's a, definitely a joke somewhere. But yeah, yeah I'm and not he's an academic. There. Hi, Richard. No, he is not an academic. Oh, he's not. Okay. No. Then goodbye, Richard. Yes. He's a civil engineer, which is far worse. But oh, I did goodness. I did also used to date a guy named Eduardo, and he was an academic. And, and yes. Okay. Hi, Eduardo. We, we, we will not talk about him either. Anyway. Um, yes. She so She feels guilty taking credit for her work because she feels invested by a cosmic energy. Oh, come on. A cosmic energy. <laughs> too yes. much. Yes. I'm like, okay how it all starts that they get a bit closer and they go to that women's group and you know mm -hmm. there's this there's a lot on there's a lot of focus on women coming together to help each other mm -hmm. um so yes as they should yes but um i thought it was interesting that i i think it i think it definitely took the kind of metaphysical stuff to a whole different level at the very end because at the very end when um when she comes out of the coma after the spirits of uh, Catherine and, and Ella have sort of helped her and, you know, and George is at his parents' house and he gets the, he gets the message from his mother, his mother who can't make pancakes, by the way, that, yeah. that, you know, that Judith has woken up and, and he knows the gig is up. So he goes out on the boat and the way the movie ends, it's very weird. You know, he goes out on the boat and 
you know something bad is going to happen to him but then it, it shows in the distance like he's basically like the boat is being drawn into this like vortex of of hell i guess yeah and they make a reference to it in the movie that you know only people who know that you know who know they are damned will see the gate of hell opening mm-hmm. and i thought that was an interesting way to kind of end it on the the emmanuel swedenborg note that yes because you know, but but they don't like i wish they had gotten a lot more into the whole, whole swedenborg concept in the movie because they i didn't i don't feel like they spent a huge amount of time on it for the amount of for the amount of influence that it supposedly had on Mm, the events you know what i mean and i wanted to ask you do they talk more about the swedenborg philosophy in the book uh they do and it's you know it's more the imagery of it so it's more the fact i mean this man this man george he manages to kill floyd and he manages to I mean, tries to kill Justine in the same day. But not just that, the boat that he's on belongs to his cousin. And one starts to think, did he also kill his cousin and well, take over? Well, because he stole his persona. paintings, remember? There we are, this persona of a painter. So everything that he's claiming to do is all on false pretense. And you suddenly start, you get this creepy feeling. I thought that was really good about the, the film when he goes off into the sea and it's like a sea with waves of fire and there's upside down crosses. And I thought that's quite creepy. And it's like he's getting what he deserves, mm-hmm. even though Catherine is dead and the women are dead, you know, but the revenge in some ways is there or some mm-hmm. justice is there but yeah. to be honest do you know what I watched this film a few years ago when it came out and I hadn't watched it for a while and I did not remember Catherine dying when she's axed to death I was so shocked I was like no this is not how it should this is not how I remember it actually. yeah um I thought I found that quite shocking how does she does she die the same way in the book I can't tell you because I don't want to spoil it for you <laughs> <laughs> but what I am going to say is that poor Franny the little girl who's only three you know, she's left with with no one. Um, she's left with her grandfather, who there's that weird homophobic scene at the dinner table, which is just crazy. I don't know where that came from. Oh, um, I know when he's grand- talking about the cousin. Yeah. And, but, and I liked I liked that Catherine told him that's a repugnant statement. Yes. And then the mother finally finally stood up to him and said, you know, yeah, yeah you shouldn't be saying things like that at the dinner table. And, he, and I love how he had this big, this big, innocent who me look on his face. Like, yeah, yeah, you, buddy. But it's always great when, you know, you have the opportunity to get up from a crockery filled table and get out of there. And it's like makes more of an exit, doesn't it? And she yes. does just that. So that's a good I, that's a good kind of example of how a dinner table full of stuff is is useful in that sense. Mm-hmm. I agree. You don't get, really get to see much of the food, but you get to see that they're all together and they're eating. Yeah. The two characters that I thought were really interesting and they don't, to me, and maybe again, this was something that maybe you saw in the book, but were the two brothers. Yes. They didn't seem to have a whole lot of function other than, you know, the one older brother, ha- you know, Catherine ends up having the affair with him when she finds out that George is having the affair and that he's lied about all these other things. But they don't seem to have they I, I couldn't really figure out why they were there. I mean, yeah, they, 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 I think that I think the the I think the book and the movie would have probably been just as or the movie, at least, would have been just as as fine without them. They didn't do anything. They didn't push the story forward. They were just there. In fact, I feel like Catherine having the affair with Eddie then was kind of making portraying her as a different type of character from the book. Now, in the book, they are they are really, really important. And there's also another brother. So it's three. So it's slightly oh, okay. different. But they are the sons of the murdered woman. Ella so they and... have a strong connection to the house and they're keeping this secret that they are connected to the house and they know what the house can do. So they know, you know, and that's really important in the book. And also there's a very maternal relationship between Catherine and the boys because she makes some sandwiches. They look after her daughter. There's a whole thing going on, a whole relationship. So you'll see when you read the book. it's You kind of see that too in the scene when she when the boys are, are playing with uh, Franny out in the, the, the out by like the little lake or the little river and Catherine yes. comes out with the lemonade to, you know and she's like you know she, she you know she, she obviously at that point doesn't see him as as a future lover you know she's just being a mom and bringing them goodies and yeah. snacks and all that so you definitely see that so I suppose now that I think about it I guess in this in that sense it, it did make sense to have them there but um like they didn't really I didn't I don't remember maybe I'm wrong I don't remember the the sons having that much knowledge or insight about what the house did you know no, they right. knew at least in the movie i mean they knew that their mom had been murdered there they they used to live there obviously they didn't anymore after the murder but there's not like any sense that they that they knew that the ghosts were there anybody was gonna was gonna 
you know, manifest to the boys, it would have been the, it would have been their mom. Don't you think? You know what, the, what's interesting in the book is that um, Eddie is often saying things which are to do with his mom and reproducing those things for Catherine. So he'll say things like, oh, my mom loved daisies. And then, the, and then Catherine will say, well, let's pick some daisies. And there's this connection going on where the woman which is no longer there their mother is helping Catherine but is also becoming more and more present through the sons you don't you miss this entirely in the film um yes so and probably that's... for obvious reasons because if Catherine is is in a way channeling the mom and then she starts having an affair with the older son that would be a little gross be a little bit weird but yeah, I, not... know. I know I know Some of the horror that we cover it's not that unusual however it still gives me a little bit of a tingle down my spine so. yeah. And not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, I think it was a it was a it was a good movie, not a great movie, but I'm definitely looking forward to reading the book. I wish I had had time to do it before our episode, but that's okay. The book um, and the film are you'll find lots of great succulent differences that will make the experience even more enjoyable. Having having seen the film, and um, apparently Stephen King is a big fan of the book. So well, I like it. Probably I, like I, it well, too. Okay. Well, you know, Stephen King is my boy. So I think we're going to have to make salads in terms of recipes, aren't we? <laughs> because she always has these big salads. I don't know. Okay. I kind of, I was kind of thinking I might make like a really gross-looking protein shake, like that with that really thick oatmeal texture that just looks disgusting. No, I'm just kidding. I think I might make a mini, little mini um, angel cakes in honor of the angels of uh, Emmanuel Swedenborg. Yes, that's a fantastic idea. Mm -hmm. In the book, they do mention a lot of Jewish food because Bram is. We haven't really talked about him. He's he's Jewish and he talks about bagels and brisket. So I might do something along those lines, but mm -hmm. we'll see. Okay. We'll keep it a mystery. We might oh. not do anything. Sometimes you don't do anything, and that's that's also like quite interesting. So ghost food. You wanted it. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> Ghostly I food. ghosted you. It is ghost food. It's it's invisible. You can't see it. The it, it, the, <laughs> go, the ghost can see it, but the regular humans cannot. So yes, mm, delicious. No, so I don't know. I haven't decided, but I, I definitely think some kind of form of angel, little angel cake. I think would be, would be would be lovely. Yeah, there's a thing here called Angel Delight that used to be quite famous in the 80s, and oh, um, that's perfect. It's like yeah, it's, it's a kind of um, powdery stuff that you whip up with. Um, with milk and um yeah so it's terrible for you angel but then delight. so was george it up. angel delight it looks it looks horrifying it so is maybe, maybe i'll make a an uh angel uh angel's delight a la george a la george i think that's he deserves it yes wherever he is oh what i could do is i could put like a little crust on it and then i could set it on fire so like him going into the flames of hell at the end that would oh be good i have cool, to huh? tell you something so funny mm -hmm. I have this, I got given this, it's like a lip, I want to say lip balm, but it's the cross between lipstick and lip balm and it's liquid and it's chilly and it makes your lips slightly bigger and they tingle and they burn. And Ow. I went to church. Yes. And they, because they, it's, they get, they're making your lips bigger, but in a yeah. natural way through the chili. So anyway, I wore it just to see, I, I put it on, I put it <laughs> on. You wore it to, to church? I went to church and I had <gasps> this thing on. So listen, it's it's see through. No one can see it. And I thought, fine. And and I didn't know it would have this really, really strong effect. I'm there. I'm suffering. I'm listening to um <laughs> to the sermon. I'm suffering because of what they're saying, which is, you know, also um quite sad. And then I'm suffering because of my lips. Anyway, I have to go and do take holy communion and drink drink the wine so I put my lips and you know that we all drink from the same place and I could see the lady next to me wincing after I'd taken a drink because she'd obviously tasted <laughs> an interesting week Vanessa but I thought I, I thought you'd like that story oh my god that is hilarious god help me you have the best stories <laughs> they're all true that's the sad thing I know I know oh gosh you know maybe I should start going back to church if for, if for, if for no other reason than I you know I could have some interesting stories to tell but then again no that's it for this week's episode thanks for listening and make sure to tune in for our next episode coming to you in two weeks as always stay spooky <laughs>